1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24. And the title of my sermon this morning is Remain in Your Call. And the key words for our worshipers in training are remain, calling, and slave. And I, I sense, as I was thinking about this, I was... I have this sense that amongst many Christians, and I think I say this especially because I know my own heart, I sense a sort of restlessness. I'm not talking about the the longing that we have for eternity. I'm not meaning the longing that we have for the life to come with Christ in perfection I'm speaking more of a longing for different circumstances in our lives. In terms of looking at our vocation, or where we live, or the friends we have, or even at times the church family that we belong to. In other words, the circumstances of life. That there is a sort of certain restlessness about us because of the circumstances of our lives. And we want to let those circumstances dictate how things go. (laughs) Certainly there are a lot of different reasons for this. Stress in our lives. Uh, We may want and desire more ease. We may be seeking something else uh, for greater financial gain. Uh, Perhaps it's a desire for comfort. If you're anything like me, perhaps it's for a sense of adventure and excitement. Perhaps looking for greener grass. Needing that newness factor about life all over again. Or maybe it's that our preferences have changed and we begin to view those as more important. And as I was thinking about this, I did a little searching to find some averages. The average American holds a job for 4.1 years. So past education, the average American has 8 to 10 jobs before they retire or die. Uh, The average American after the age of 19, moves 11.7 times. That's a lot of moving. I hate moving once. (laughs) Now, I understand there's various reasons for these things, but I think it's an interesting trend because many of generations past would, would not even understand why this would happen. People in other countries know very little outside of their community other than perhaps a few times of travel here and there. But we as a people are constantly shifting and moving. I think if we live in somewhat transient neighborhoods, we see this and understand this to be true. And while their circumstances were different, the Apostle Paul sensed a sort of restlessness amongst the new Christians in Corinth. They were newly converted to Christ. They had a new zeal. And as a result, they saw their vocation. They saw the work that they were doing as something that maybe was somewhat useless because it was not in direct relation to the Gospel as they saw it. 
Some of them were married now, as we spoke of last week, to those who were non-Christians. They were converted, their spouse was not, and so they simply wanted to get a divorce. Many of them sought new living arrangements all together. So what we see in today's passage is that Paul is saying, hold on a minute, slow down, wait just a minute. We all must lead the life that the Lord has assigned to us. Let's look at our restlessness. Let's slow down and see what the Lord has for us. So let's read 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 through 24. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule to all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let us remain with God. So as we read through the entire chapter of chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, it seems in some ways that Paul's taking a diversion, a sort of rabbit trail here down a side road. But... We need to take in context all that's going on before and after this passage. Remember, in verse 15, he tells the believers that God has called you to peace. And then following this, he's going to speak to those who are single, those who are without a spouse, and he's calling them to live in their situation to remain single if possible, to maintain that calling in their life. And this passage, in addition to this idea of marriage and singleness, addresses other ideas of circumcision and slavery. And I think, too, we see in here an implication for vocation and social status as well. So let's look at each verse. Verse 17, remain in the call, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So a life that each man or each woman has been assigned to or called to is what Paul is speaking of here. So he's going to begin breaking down these ideas about certain external changes of the person needing to be made by a new Christian. Remember, we talked about a few weeks ago that the Gentiles were looking that they maybe need to be married if they weren't married yet. 
Some of them were single, and there was a Jewish law that uh, that was saying that if you weren't married, then you were not favored of God. And so these Gentiles, new Christians, were walking into this uh, former Jewish community and hearing this and feeling like, I need to pursue a wife. And remember, Paul has said already, and he will say again, that if you are single, it is far better that you remain single, if possible, that you may continue on in the ministry unhindered with external influences. Also, they were looking to see that perhaps now that we are believers, that we need the sign of circumcision. And that's why Paul addresses that in this passage. Likewise, there were Jews who became believers, who became Christians, and they were now married to non-believers. And because of their understanding of someone being clean or unclean, they felt like they needed to divorce their non-believing spouse. They did not want to become unclean as a result of that relationship. But remember, again, last week, Paul calls them to stay in that relationship if they consent. And they also wanted to, because of their new life in Christ, appear as though they were uncircumcised. And there was a procedure in the first century in which one could um, have this, uh, the uh, symbol of circumcision uh, appear to be removed. And Paul makes essentially the same argument that he does here uh, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, where he writes, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So here's the, here's the argument that Paul is making. Human circumstances of life should not enslave the Christian by virtue of God's call to become a Christian. Additionally, undue concern for changing the circumstances of one's life disregards the effectiveness of God's call, thus representing a form of slavery itself. So we're going to unpack all that. Don't feel like you need to remember everything I just said. It's important as we go through this to understand this idea of calling. What is a call or a calling on a person's life that Paul is speaking of? Primarily, Paul is using this in the very same way that all of Scripture does when it speaks of the effectual call of God. Essentially, that God calls His people onto Himself. And in that calling, that they are effectively New creations in Christ. He calls them onto Himself. He justifies them. He saves them. And as a result of that, they are new creations. This is that calling. But secondarily, and I think really what Paul is pushing here is he's speaking of a call on a place or a status in life. In other words, a location of where someone may live or the economic circumstances, circumstances or social status that one might find themselves in. We read in Acts 17, verse 26, it says, He, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And so we have a great understanding here of the sovereignty of God in directing His people to be in certain places at certain times to fulfill His purposes. 
I think also we can draw from this, and many of the Puritans certainly did, primarily Martin Luther, this idea of vocation, of our job. Now, I want you to think about your job right now and some of the uh, descriptive words that you might use to describe it. Maybe good, maybe not so good. And realize that we see from Scripture that work, vocation, is a gift. It's not a curse, it's a gift. We see, right, that in creation that God Himself worked. He worked by His Word to bring all things into existence. And on the seventh day, He rested from His labors. And so we see that work is a gift of God. Work existed before the fall of mankind. And so He's calling us here, in a sense, to remain as we are in vocation. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. And also, in context of the wider chapter here, to remain in our relationship status, married or unmarried, if possible. So Paul is pointing out here that every man, woman, and child has a specific life assigned by the Lord to fulfill a specific calling. And Paul, and really all of the Scriptures, draw a very heavy line at times between uh, what the Bible describes as the world and Christians. So we see this all through Scripture. As the Bible talks about the things of the world and the things of God, and there's this major distinction that we constantly see drawn, and rightfully so, but we cannot let that cloud our understanding of two very important principles I think we need to key in on in this passage. First is what we see in John chapter 17, verse 15. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. He's praying for us, the believers. And He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So, we get this understanding that Christians, although to be set apart from the world, are not separatists. We may be vagabonds. We may be aliens. We may be foreigners in this world because our home is truly in heaven, but we do have a temporary residence here. And as those who have a temporary residence, we talked about several weeks ago, we also have a mission as ambassadors of Christ, calling others to be reconciled to God. So we cannot isolate ourselves and disassociate ourselves from the world. Secondly, an understanding of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Namely, that in Christ, God is reconciling all things back to Himself. Now, I think what this does is helps us to eliminate this divide that many of us have set up in our minds. This divide is a difference between things that are secular and things that are sacred. I think that that is, um, that is an inappropriate divide to make. As we look at the world, we need instead to ask what's sacred and what's secular. We need instead to look and say, what has been reconciled to God and what remains unreconciled to God? 
How then can we move that from being unreconciled to being reconciled? As ambassadors of Christ, that is our calling to do. So, as a result of that, then my vocation as a pastor is no more holy than your vocation as a carpenter or a plumber or a mill worker. Whatever it is that you do. The things that I do hold no more of a holy status than the things that you do. Likewise, then, the various types of music that we listen to, we should look at them and not say, is it sacred or is it secular? Instead, we must ask, is it reconciled to God or is it not? We could go on, the t-shirts we wear or the coffee mugs that we carry and on and on and on. Are these things reconciled to God or are they not? Not this divide of whether or not they are sacred or secular. Now what I'm not saying and that is that these things do not matter in content. They very much matter. What I am saying is that Christians can write, for example, a Christian man can write a love song to his wife. And it need not be a worship song to Jesus and it still be something that we would call reconciled. Or I can paint beautiful art that doesn't even have a picture of a little country church with a cross on the roof and Scripture verses inscribed across the top, and it still be something that is beautiful, and something that I can delight in, because God grants beauty and diversity in my gifts, that I can rejoice in those things. God gives us all things, so that by them, we are pointed beyond them to Him. And so that may be the beautiful things in this world that are not even explicitly Christian, but may very well be beautiful and rewarding and satisfying in their own right. But the question we must ask of it is, is it reconciled? So that means that our jobs, our houses, our hobbies... The food we eat, the things we drink, the shopping we do, the art that we participate in, the music we perform or listen to, and on and on and on. All of it matters. And if it's not reconciled, then our call is to work toward that end. And so as we look at our calling in life, we must consider, where am I at? What are the circumstances of my life? And instead of seeking to flee them and isolate myself from them and be as many of the past and certainly some currently have found, well, perhaps I just need to abandon it all and isolate myself completely and take a vow of silence and poverty and find a nice resting place in the side of a mountain. This is not the call of Scripture. John Calvin said, What then is to be done unless that everyone walk according to the grace given to him and according to his calling? 
Let everyone therefore labor for this and use his endeavor that he may do good to his neighbors and more especially when he ought to be excited to it by the particular duty of his calling. So we must understand that God has given each and every one of us a specific calling. He has assigned to us a specific place in life. And Paul says in the second part of that verse that this is a rule that he's given to all the churches. In essence, he's not singling out the Corinthians. He's saying, I am pressing this in on all the churches. As I write to them, as I speak to them, this is what I am calling all believers to. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. So the thrust is this, and he elaborates on this in a few more verses. A Christian does not have to seek the right situation. And by that, we're speaking the situation that we set up for ourselves. A Christian does not have to seek the right situation in order to enjoy Christian freedom or to serve God's call effectively. The situation we're in is the one that we are called to in order to enjoy Christian freedom and to serve God effectively. Look on to verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commands of God. So he speaks of circumcision. We know from the Old Testament that it was a symbolic representation of one who was an ethnic Jew. The removal of the male foreskin on the eighth day according to the law that God had commanded. So circumcision was a part of the law. And yet Christ said, I have not come to abolish the law, I have come to fulfill the law. So we see that this very mark was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So a Christian is a new creation, no longer needing to conform to outward obedience to the ceremonial law that we read of in the Old Testament. And specifically, circumcision was a means to pointing forward to the need for the heart now to be circumcised. And it was a work of the new covenant that was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The new covenant was, as God said, I will give them, my people, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone and give a heart of flesh. So because of Christ and because of the fulfillment of the new covenant, circumcision is no longer necessary. For the Christian, it's essentially meaningless. Now we have a representation of new life in Christ. And we saw it just this morning. The symbol of baptism. But he says... What if at one point you were a circumcised Jew? He says, that's fine. Stay that way. Don't go through some medical procedure to seek to repair that. It does not matter. He said, if you were an uncircumcised Gentile, fine, stay that way. Do not seek circumcision because circumcision is outward conformity. It is not the issue here. 
The issue is to devote oneself to that which is precious in God's sight. A circumcised heart. Because ultimately, the the hidden mystery that existed in this act of circumcision was ultimately revealed in Christ. So, he says, remain as you are because whether or not you're circumcised or uncircumcised as a believer in Christ, you are a new creation. And so, really what he's getting at is that there was a major issue with Christians seeking this social upward mobility. That they were depending on the circumstances that surrounded their life for greater influence or a higher status according to the world's principles. And so they were seeking to change the social status in which they existed. But Paul is saying, do not occupy yourself with the things of no purpose, but instead fulfill your duties and your calling that are well-pleasing to God. Fulfill that which God has called you to in your life. Do what you do to the glory of God. He continues in verse 20 with that thought and says, Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, commented on this verse and said this, Some persons have the foolish notion that the only way in which they can live for God is by becoming ministers, missionaries, or Bible women. Alas, how many would be shut out from any opportunity of magnifying the Most High if this were the case? Beloved, it is not office. It is earnestness. It is not position. It is grace which will enable us to glorify God. God is most surely glorified in that cobbler's stall where the godly worker, as he piles the all, sings of the Savior's love. I glorified far more than in many stall where official religiousness performs its scanty duties. The name of Jesus is glorified by the poor unlearned carter as he drives his horse and blesses his God or speaks to his fellow laborer by the roadside as much as by the popular divine who throughout the country is thundering out the gospel. God is glorified by our serving Him in our proper vocations. Take care, dear reader, that you do not forsake the path of duty by leaving your occupation. And take care that you do not dishonor your profession while in it. Think little of yourselves, but do not think too little of your calling. Every lawful trade may be sanctified by the gospel to noblest ends. Turn to the Bible and you will find the most menial forms of labor connected either with most daring deeds of faith or with persons whose lives have been illustrious for holiness. Therefore, be not discontented with your calling. Whatever God has made your position or your work, abide in that. Unless you are quite sure that He calls you to something else. Let your first care be to glorify God to the utmost of your power where you are. Feel your present sphere to His praise. And if He needs you in another, He will show it to you. This evening, lay aside vexations, ambition, and embrace peaceful contempt. I think Spurgeon nailed it when he comes to this idea that Paul 
is saying each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. In other words, everyone should be contented with his calling in life and pursue it instead of always seeking to find something else. So that means if you're a plumber and you become overly occupied with this interest to become a car salesman, you must remain as a plumber even when things start to maybe take over your thought process and you don't want to give yourself to your labors anymore. You want to start to strive after this other thing that you've taken up interest in. Now, what about when our desires completely change? Is this always true? If that was always true, that we find our calling, we remain in our calling, and we never look to any other calling that the Lord may have for us, then Jesus Himself would have remained as a carpenter. So we must understand that He is not prohibiting this idea that from time to time, where we are and what we do may very well change. But what we have to ask of that is, what are the motives of our heart? Am I seeking to, for example, leave my job because I don't very much like my boss? Or the situation with my coworkers just isn't all that wonderful? Perhaps my main motive and drive is financial. Or maybe even I think going to another place and doing something else is more holy than what I'm doing right now. So we must ask questions of the heart. Why am I stirring in this way? Why are my desires shifting to something else? And yet in the midst of it remain focused to do all things as unto the Lord and not unto man. But Paul's intent here is not to lock a believer into a certain vocation or their living arrangements. But he's simply seeking to correct inconsiderate eagerness of some of the Corinthians to quickly change their circumstances without any proper reason whatsoever. Some of them it was superstition or some it was other reasons. So he's condemning the restlessness that keeps a person from peaceably living as they are called because they are so occupied with the what-ifs and the hope-sos. So he says to remain as you are called. And then on to verse 21 through the end. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So Paul is now addressing a new group. He's addressing those who were slaves. And he's saying, if you are a slave and you are now a Christian, don't worry about it. Don't let that condition worry you. Because many were assuming that being a slave was unbecoming or incompatible with becoming a Christian. 
But Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Listen, the Lord has called you to this station in the world for a specific reason. So don't be anxious about it, but be of good courage and press on and seek to fulfill your calling in whatever station of life that is. Now, Paul is in no way here approving of slavery, but rather he's giving an exhortation that if one is a slave, that they can and should honor and obey Christ in that situation. Whatever your lot is in life, seek to honor Christ. Seek to do as you are called. In the first century, in this time that Paul would have been writing this, a third of the slave population were simply born into that, and so they continued on in that. But he gets on to this idea of saying, if you can avail yourself of this, if you can be freed of slavery, then do so. And what he's talking about is that most of the rest of the slaves sold themselves into slavery because they were paying off debts. And most of them earned some type of labor. Uh, uh, they earned some type of wage for their labor. And so they earned it, they saved it, and they could eventually use it to obtain freedom, to pay off their debt. So to be sure, they were not people, but they certainly were considered property. And there still were many cases of oppressive misery in torture and corporal punishment and sexual abuse of women in these forms of slavery. But Paul is saying, this is not ideal. This is not an ideal situation for anyone. So if you're able to walk free of it, do it. If the funds are available for freedom, or if freedom is offered to you, take it and use it. Otherwise, if not, be content in your circumstances and honor Christ. You see, I I don't see that Paul assumed that freedom is a God-given right but that it was certainly the preference and that was most advantageous for the gospel's sake. But he says ultimately that slavery is not a hindrance in one's service to God. You can and shall serve God regardless of your circumstances. So how is it that a slave can continue on without anxiety or a concern? in regards to their calling. Verse 21 says that they are freedmen of the Lord. You see, our true bondage, all of us, is that we were all slaves at one point, and some in here still are, to our very sin. No man is more free in this life than the one who is in Christ who releases us from the bondage of sin and sets us free to live in the newness of life with new desires for obedience to Christ, with new joy and satisfaction in who Christ is and what He has accomplished on our behalf. So we are then set free to live making much of Jesus. This is true freedom. Because at once we all were slaves in bondage to our sin. Our wills were wound up tight in the natural man with desires for nothing but evil. So in Christ we are no longer being bound by the nature of the old man. And in that it is true freedom indeed. 
And interestingly, Paul goes on to say that when one is free from the bondage of sin, he then becomes one who is in bondage to or a slave to Christ. And so we would look at this and say, but, but God is love. He wouldn't, he wouldn't give us this burden of bondage to Himself. I mean, after all, right, I, I have to place myself willingly under His authority, right? I think the Bible is clear that we cannot. Indeed, we will not act against the very nature of our sinful man, which is sin and rebellion. So while we want and wish and hope that we would have a desire to place ourselves willingly under the authority of God, the Scriptures triumphantly declare that we cannot and will not. It is not in the heart of natural man. So then we are driven to be thankful for the sovereign work of God to change our hearts, to give us new desires, to give us a new status as bondservants to Christ, bondslaves of Christ. And so I belong to Him and I am His. And I was, verse 23 says, bought with a price. Praise God. And so I am no longer a natural man. I was bought with a price, and now I belong to Christ, adopted into His family as His son or daughter. He says also, do not become slaves of men in verse 23. What he's speaking of is becoming slaves to the sinful ways of man, the ways of the world, the ways of the flesh. We are bought with a price. We belong to Christ. Therefore, we are not free to sell ourselves into human bondage. We don't belong to ourselves. Therefore, we don't have the right to give ourselves away in that manner. So what does that look like for us? It looks like selling ourselves to our work. And maybe you're a workaholic. You've become a slave to your job. Maybe it's a certain addiction that you struggle with and you've become enslaved to that addiction. Perhaps it's a desire for entertainment or money and possessions. And so you dig yourself in deeper and deeper debt and find that you are now a slave to the master who owns you. And all of these things, and we could go on and on and on. Paul is saying here, do not sell yourself to these things. Do not give of yourself to these things which hold you in bondage. Because... You are Christ. And behold, it is not your obligation. It is not your duty. Ultimately, in Christ, it is not your right to give yourself over to anything other than Christ. John Calvin said, Do not yield yourself to things base and wicked of the world when you're a bondslave of Christ. He redeems us, so do not succumb to the lusts of men. He goes on finally in verse 24 and says, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So in the context, again, Paul looks at the physical intimacy that a husband and a wife may have at the beginning of chapter 7. He looks at marriage. He looks at singleness. 
He looks at divorce. He looks at circumcision and slavery and freedom. And he draws that each has his place for living out the gospel in everyday life. In whatever situation one finds themselves in, use it to make much of Jesus. Remain with God in all circumstances. Remain with God in your calling. So, the big question we have to ask at the end of all of this is how? How do I shift from this restlessness and this longing for something else that would bring me contentment and joy in my current circumstances? How do I shift from that to living in a way that is content and satisfied in Christ and the calling that I currently exist in? The Christian heart should be, how can my life count for God's glory in all the circumstances surrounding me, good or bad? Well, Paul says, remain with God. No matter the time nor the place, maintain fellowship with Christ. Jonathan Edwards looked at this idea of one neglecting their work or neglecting their duties of their current circumstances for this pursuit of personal piety or holiness that we've created. He looked at that and saying, to deny the things that you are called to do in terms of your calling and vocation, to neglect those and instead to focus all of your attention on this self-made pursuit of personal piety is very hypocritical. He explains the very opposite sentiment, which is very consistent with Paul is saying, using his wife Sarah as an example. He said, Oh, how good, said Sarah once, it is to work for God in the daytime and at night to lie down under his smiles. High experiences and religious affections in Sarah have not been attended with any disposition at all to neglect the necessary business of her calling, to spend time in reading and prayer and other exercises of devotion. But worldly business has been attended with great alacrity as part of the service of God. Sarah declaring that it being done thus, tis found to be as good as prayer. As we go about our lives day after day after day in the calling that we are in, whether it is our vocation, our marriage or singleness, whether it is the place we live, the neighbors we have, the family of faith that we belong to, Paul is calling us to remain in that calling, remain in that position. It matters to God that we remain where He has called us, that we would use that position to make much of Him. We must work hard with godly motives to make much of Jesus while maintaining a sweet fellowship and thanksgiving with Him. A few scriptures here, and then we'll end. Psalm 86.12 this must be our hearts in all things. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Trusting the Lord in all things. Psalm 31.14 But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. 
Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 7, Cast all of your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Matthew 28, 20, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Titus 2, 9 through 10, Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So he's calling us, brothers and sisters, to use our gifts, to use our creativity, to use the things that God has given us as gifts and has called us to subdue, to use them all for God's glory. Truly, we must ask, of all things, how can Christ's beauty shine more brightly in my circumstances right now? Whatever they are, consider your circumstances And indeed, I would call you to consider the circumstances you are most dissatisfied with at this point in your life and ask of that question. How can Christ's beauty shine more brightly in my current circumstances? We must realize that life lived and work done adorns the gospel. How we work matters. How we live as neighbors, how we do our hobbies, how we shop at the store. All of these things matter. So, an illustration, our work is not the woman, our work is the dress. The woman is the gospel. So, our work, the dress, goes on the woman who is the gospel. It adorns her. So the point is that through our work, the Christianity, our faith, will be known from inside of us. We must enjoy God's gifts as gifts, ultimately because they are a means of pointing us to Christ and not finding our final joy in them, but finding our final joy in the giver. The call is to find joy, to find rest, to find peace in Christ no matter our circumstances. We must forsake a continuous restlessness in our circumstances that we may long to make much of Christ no matter what we are called to for His glory and for our joy. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this important exhortation from your word that we would live according to the life that you have given to us according to the call that you have placed on our lives father we thank you for the gift of work we thank you for creativity we thank you for beauty we thank you for the gifts in this world that you have given us that are reconciled and that have yet to be reconciled. That as we look to them, we can look beyond them and worship the giver and not the gift. But all the same, that we can enjoy and be satisfied in that you have given us a great gift. 
in the things that you give us, in the food that we eat, in the drinks that we drink, in the work that we do, in the beauty that we behold, in the art that we create, in the music that we hear, in all of these things, Father, we rejoice in knowing that you have granted these to us, that we may have a sliver of delight in Christ. Father, help us to see that You have called us to a place and to a time. And help us, Lord, to walk in satisfaction, to always do all things as though unto You and not unto man. And whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, to do all to the glory of God. Thank You, Lord, for the Gospel that sets us free to not be bound to seeking to do these things in our own power, for we know surely we would fail. Lord, thank You for Christ, that in His righteousness we dwell, and we live, and we walk, and are satisfied. Help us all, Lord, to delight all the more in who Christ is, and what He has accomplished. We love You, we're thankful, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name.